Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Dan Beeston. And I am Gregoire. And this is episode 66. In episode 66, we are going to be talking about bats with Dr. Jen Parsons. And the path of education, also with Dr. Jen Parsons. But first, Dan. Yes? And listeners, gentle, loving listeners, we know, well... Gentle, loving or gentle, (laughs) comma, comma, loving loving listener. The the universe needs your help. Because those guys go at it like fire hammers. (laughs) (laughs) Sidetracked. The universe needs your help. Space needs your help right now. Look up. Space needs your help. It's much lower than I expected. That's your roof. But what I'm trying to say is that the American government has decided to cut their planetary sciences budget for NASA to the tune of about $1.5 billion. <gasps> that's like a 19th of a stealth fighter. Well, that's, well, that's, probably, that's probably like almost a whole stealth fighter, I think. Isn't oh. it? Isn't it? I don't know. Isn't, are they kind of like two billion like dollars? A stealth bomb is like $18 billion, oh, I think. Anyway, the point of this is it's going to really kill the missions. Like to Europa, which is one that made me sad, to round Jupiter, the, the, the moons, uh, the Europa, the one that's full of water that we now recently saw is spewing uh, salty water into space. And they wanted they, the money to send a probe there to actually have a look at the damn thing. That's and Chad's see, galaxy shot. That is what, right there. It really is. So uh, we... what um, Galaxy shot? Money shot? No, I like galaxy shot. Go, we'll go. That's the galaxy shot. That's the sequel to um, Galaxy Quest. It's, uh, Sigourney Weaver's career went... No, stop! The, the Planetary Society, Bill Nye, the science guy, he is the head of the Planetary Society in America, and you also know Emily Lechterwaller, who we have interviewed on this very podcast. Oh, yes. They're part of this, and they are starting a petition, especially if you're American. Go to planetary.org. And have a look. I'll put the link in the in the podcast. Yep. But planetary.org. And if you're an American, you can write to your member of parliament and say, enough, stop it. Stop killing the budget. Go back to 2012 budget and we'll be able to have the, the Europa missions. We'll be able to keep... We might be losing opportunity, like as in not losing opportunity, little O. I mean, the big O, the, the rover, it's up there. It's working. It's doing fine. Yeah. But they might not have the money to run it anymore. They might have to shut it down, which would be stupid. Well, do you know how much it takes to get double A's up there well, that, every couple I, of months? <laughs> That's ridiculous. It's solar powered, Dan. And recently, it once again had a wonderful dust devil event where it cleaned all the solar panels off. Oh, so that's it got, all right. So it suddenly got like 15 or 20% more power than it had for ages. They should put wiper blades on it. I, I thought I thought it should be able to waggle its its solar panel. I did think about this, going, why can't it waggle its solar panels? Going, ee, ee, ee. Anyway, that's a different story. It the should po- just rub up against something. <laughs> Scratch its back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like curiosity. Nip over to curiosity and rub against that. They Two- should send up a bit, one of those cat poles. <laughs> so they just rub up against the, the carpeted cat pole. Now, if you're not an American, and you might be going, well, there's nothing to do with me, Greg, I'm not an American. Aha, you can do something. Go to the same link in the planetary.org and go to the, or the link in the podcast. And it's actually a thing that says, I'm not an American citizen. Click here. And you can sign a petition that will go directly to US President Barack Obama. And it will say, hey... We're a citizen of the world, and we're the most technologically advanced people in the world, and we really need this, America. You know, we, you always want to be like the policeman of the world and be wonderful and sexy. Prove it! Prove how awesome you are right now by keeping space alive and Europa 
researched. Go do it now. Go do it right now. Dr. Jen Parsons will wait for you. Put it on pause. Go and go to planetary.org. Sign the petition. Try and save NASA's planetary sciences budget. If you don't know why this is important, you haven't been listening to the podcast very often, and I could rant for a long time why space travel and space exploration is really important to your life on Earth. And that's a threat. If you do not go and fill out this email, he will continue to rant and rant and I rant. will, and I will, I will find out who didn't, and I will use your name. So I'll say, the reason we can't go to Europa, Michael Smith, is... See what it, I'm hoping Michael Smith, someone called I Michael Smith. That, yeah, me too. He just went, whoa! Oh, I better fill out that email. Yeah. Well, Rachel Jones. Huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah see? See? Uh. Yeah, see? I'm not Rachel Jones, she's feeling bad about herself now. So you don't want that. Random names I'm going to pull out of a hat that might be yours. <laughs> well, Xavier Mustafa. Someone just shit themselves. <laughs> I really hope so. That would probably be a great one. Go and look at it. I mean, it's, it takes two seconds, and you go, what's the point of a petition? It has made a difference in the past. The Planetary Society managed to stop some of the cuts in past years. It does work. It is not just waving your genitals in the breeze, ladies and gentlemen, though that's fun too. Which leads us to our next subject. <laughs> go do it right now. I would like to welcome to the podcast Dr. Jen Parsons. Woo! Dr. Jen. Thanks for having me. Dr. Jen, you are a doctor of? Tropical ecology and zoology. Tropical ecology and zoology. Well, that's two bites of the cherry right that's there. That's, it really is. So I just see this image of you now just wearing like a pith helmet and, and sort of khaki clothes with a big machete hacking your way through some fantastic jungle somewhere. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can t- give you some good imagery from a movie called Bats where there's a, there's a character in that and she's a chiropterologist. And that's how I ended up working on that. <laughs> so we, we've jumped ahead because you I'm said you're, it's yes. tr- tropical ecology yep. and zoology. Now, I would have thought that zoology takes care of all the animals in the tropics. So does that mean that includes tropical flora as well as fauna? Yeah, so ecology is talking about all the aspects of the ecosystem. So the soil, oh, I see. the flora, things in the atmosphere, things in the water, how it all interacts. So it's about how all different organisms interact Sort of a, a bird's eye view of the whole system yep. is like ecology, and then zoology is just the fun stuff with the teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, zoology yeah is just actually working on animals, and mm. I, I think it really should just be called tropical ecology because mm. you can just throw the animals in there as well. They're a small <laughs> part of the whole system. <laughs> yes, that's right. I know so many people who I've met during the years who have said they're going to go. Younger people have decided to become ecologists, or uh, and they've all wanted to do what you do. I think did you have to like kill someone to get your job? <laughs> I mean, it's scary because I know so many people who, who want to go and work in the tropics and do amazing stuff and, you know, or work in the Great Barrier Reef or, you know, and, and they're like, oh, I'm going to come to Australia. I know people from overseas who have said this. And, and so, but you're doing it. You're actually out there working with the tropical ecology. It's like a secret thing you had to do to get in. Can you tell well, us? Well, it's, it's not as competitive as marine biology. So terrestrial uh. ec- ecology, particularly anything <laughs> to do with botany, tends to be not quite as sexy as marine biology. So on the scale of things, we don't really have to compete quite as right. much. But I, yeah. I love all the like the, the 15-year-old girls who are like, I'm going to be a marine oh, biologist. Yes, yes. And I met one and I'm like, oh, so you always wanted to be a marine biologist? She said, yeah. And I'm like, oh, so what, what animal are you focusing on? And she says, well, it's an intestinal worm inside fish. <laughs> there you like, go. Man, that's so everyone, wants, everyone wants to hug a dolphin. No one wants to hug a fern. That's, that's what it is, isn't it? It's very sad. 
Very sad. Exactly I'm right. a big fan of ferns. Are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Much better than grass. This grass is rubbish. Oh, I, I have a friend that works on grass. Oh. I'd be very sad to hear you say that. <laughs> well, too bad. He picked bad. They, they he, should pick, come, he picked they should, the intestinal worm of the flora landscape. <laughs> they should come on the podcast and put us right. Uh-huh. I think so. <laughs> down. Jen, what, what do you actually work on, though? What's your area of expertise? Because ecology, that's a big area. You can't just go, the ecology. That's exactly right. I guess I work on bats, <gasps> and the way that that happens, and what's a bat expert called? <laughs> a chiropterologist. A chiropterologist. Yeah. That's the best name for a job ever. <laughs> I'm a chiropterologist. A chiro- how do you say it again? Chiropterologist. Chiropterologist. I'm a chiropterologist. It sounds like a, a, a very small helicopter. It does, yes. actually. Yeah. Right. I came into my PhD later in life, and I'd worked for the state government and worked in wildlife welfare. I was working in wildlife welfare when the first lysivirus case was reported. Mm. And then Ever? In Australia. Okay. So for the experts, oh, so for, right. the, for, the, for the punters who don't know what the lysivirus is, because we, we're all over the world, but what's the lysivirus? It's a type of rabies, and I know that the Australian government doesn't like to use the word rabies. <laughs> I'll but, bet they don't. Um, <laughs> It's thought to occur or be carried by around 1% of the bat population. Oh. And One in 100 bats has the Lyssa virus, has rabies, airborne rabies. Is, is, that, is that right? Well, it's less than 1%. Less than 1%. Yeah. Oh, okay. Phew. Yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, much I mean, less than 1%? I've been bitten, I just I've been bitten by 98 bats. And I've, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm sitting pretty. <laughs> but... Because they're carriers doesn't necessarily mm. mean that they're sick or anything like that, and mm. they actually have to physically bite you or scratch you gotcha. for you mm. to get lysivirus. So it's a very unlikely thing, and, and very few people have actually died from lysivirus. Mm. There's many other things in the world that you're more likely to die from, but... Mm. Mm. Oh, okay. look, I've got a list. <laughs> Dan's a hypochondriac. Please don't tell him about the lysivirus and bats. Yeah, yeah. The bat lysivirus just went up a couple of notches on <laughs> oh, my no, list. No, now, what no. I'm interested in is... That wasn't my intention. Can a bat <laughs> scratch a possum and then a possum bite Dan and Dan get the lysivirus? No. Ah, I mean, yay. Well, can it scratch a horse? Isn't the lysivirus... No, you're getting mixed up horses? with... Hendra virus, which is a different virus. Yes, I am. Great. Good news. Horses <laughs> yes. just slipped down a couple of notches on my list. Yes, I, yes, yes. So it's a type of, so similar to rabies. Similar to rabies. Mm. There was a lot of concern in the community, understandably. So the government decided to vaccinate some people that were working for them. I was mm. one of them. Oh. And I went out and would handle bats and work with bats. Did you get bitten and scratched? Occasionally, mm. Um, yeah, but I had a vaccination, a series of vaccinations that I had mm. because of the industry that I worked in. So what were the bats you were working with? Is it all the same bat? Because there are heaps of different types of bats. That's right, yeah. Mm. Um, probably the one that I work the most with are our large flying foxes that we have here mm-hmm. in Australia. And they're, they're a bat? They are a bat. Okay, they're not a fox. No. No, good. No. It's not like the tawny frog mouth, which looks like an owl and isn't an owl. They are a bat. They're a bat. Good. That's exactly right. They're a large bat, though. Yes, they? yes. Mm. I have a funny story about flying foxes and people getting that wrong, but anyway. Go on. Well, please tell us. You want to hear oh, yes, absolutely. Okay. You, you've, um, mis- you, you, you've misread <laughs> out this for the level of this podcast. Right, right, okay. I was at a conference and it was an aviation conference, so it wasn't people that were familiar with wildlife. And mm-hmm. It was in Canada, so it was people that were not familiar with Australian wildlife <laughs> either. And I gave a presentation on bat strikes in the aviation industry. And Hell no, we're not um, going in. Where's, stop uh, it. Sorry. Stop it. Sorry. And um, I, eat your I, I gave my lovely presentation and thought it went really well. And it was a big packed room full of people. And everyone, or not everyone, a few people put their hands up after... 
I spoke and I had one guy with a large, thick Texan accent say to me, and I won't do the accent because I do terrible accents, um, <laughs> so you have foxes that can fly. Ah. <laughs> so he had this vision of these flying foxes that were ramming into aircraft. It's anyway. <laughs> kind of... Mm. So why are they called flying foxes then? Do you have any idea why they actually call because that name? Because they have a very dog-like face. It, it is very fox-like. Mm. If you look at a flying fox's face, it's it's much more like a dog than some of the smaller bats that you might have seen that have... You know, more like a pug. Yeah, yes. some of them have fancy... Or sometimes their oh. nose looks like a flower. Yeah, and that's and right. Something yeah. out of yeah. my what, nightmare. What's that about? Yeah, that's like... what? what it's, like... it's a very good question. Oh. It's all about echolocation. Oh, okay. We'll get back to that That's another then. story. Oh, good, good. Okay, yes. okay, so, so okay, the... so I was working on bats. For this reason, I decided to go on and study, and because I'd been working with bats, and I discovered that they were such fascinating animals, and I was studying ecology, and the thing that I really liked about flying foxes in particular was that they were seed dispersers and pollinators and so I had oh. quite a keen interest in botany. Mm. So it was a way that I could marry the two together. So it was really nice. I, have, I used to live in North Queensland as a boy and we had mango trees and that the, the bats would, of course, would swoop down on your mangoes and, and eat them. So what we'd do is we'd get all the ones that fell out, not, not the bats, the <laughs> mangoes that fell out of the tree and we'd pile them away from the tree. And so that was like the banquet for bats. And I have very strong memories of coming out. You hear weird rustling <laughs> noises and, and you have the lights out and you walk outside and you switch on the porch light and, the, uh, and so there's this black mass because <laughs> uh, uh, the, the mangoes are piled half a meter high. Like this pile of mangoes, and and this black mass seething, and they'd all stand and look at you, these red eyes, and they'll go boom into the air, and it's just just this endless cloud of darkness oh, going into I, the air. I might have to debunk this. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, really? They they actually can't take off from the ground. So, so that what they weren't flying foxes then. I don't know. They must have been birds or something. I, they, oh, my I, memory is wrong as a child. <laughs> no, well, I can't take well, from the, No, that's, that's good to know. That's really interesting see, to know. You told me about this because I've yes. just taken ownership of a couple of mango trees and they'll jump into the tree and I, I was piling up oh. the, the mangoes and stuff. Bats wouldn't touch them, mm. wouldn't go near them, but whole bunch of noisy miners and all sorts of interesting birds came in and went for the, the, the seething mess. I'm fascinated. No, no, thank you. That's really sorry. good. That, no, no, no. no don't, don't, don't say sorry. That's perfect. That's, you're, you're, a trop, 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 you're a bat guy, <laughs> bat girl. Then oh, I don't know. Bat person. I don't know what's going on anymore. A lady Batman. A lady Batman. <laughs> a la- I'll go with that one. A lady Batman. And that's really interesting to me. I'm going to find out what it is. I'm going to go yell at my parents and work out what happened. Anyway, that's Do, for another because time. Because they actually, and this is the reason why flying foxes, if anyone that lives in Australia, who's been walking along at night and you've had a bat take off in front of you because Mm. it's been feeding on a tree next to where you're walking and they seem to swoop down in front of you and it's because they need to drop down. They actually hang off the the branch, drop down in order to get lift. And they make up a hell of a lot of noise. They do. Like you, they say on leathery wings, mm. and that is a really... It's like a whole bunch of hats falling off a cupboard. <laughs> it's right. It's because there's obviously a lot of energy being expelled there. Yep. So bats, they... Well, flying foxes, they don't... We talked before about the, the snout, and how you said the echolocation on the smaller ones, they have the big flowery nose to, to pick up sound waves, I assume, or to use to aid the echolocation. So do flying foxes not echolocate? No. Ah, right, okay. No echolocation. No. So, so they, Australian they flying foxes things? have really good eyesight. So mm. the whole blind as a bat thing is not true. Even echolocating bats do see. Mm-hmm. Uh, but flying foxes have excellent eyesight. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the trees that they're attracted to for nectar tend to be what they call coliflorous trees that have flowers that are on the outside that mm. are white 
and high visibility at night. So, and they tend to have more <laughs> nectar at night as well. So oh. they just see them. Yeah. Where, where, where I was growing up, we had these big trees down the side of the street that had red berries on them that the lorikeets would go nuts for. But at night, the bats would go nuts for it. And mm. so they'd all be munching away. And I'd be walking home at like two in the morning and I knew where they, where they were. And then I'd like creep up, creep up, creep up. And then I'd run just down between the trees and like hundreds of bats would leap out and fly around me. I felt like I was a Neil Gaiman character or something. And then I found out about the, the Lissa virus and then I just creeped through there every night. I didn't, want them jump. I didn't want 99 bats jumping out of me. I'm fascinated by what you just said before then. So it sounds like there's some sort of symbiotic, uh, maybe not the right word there, but there's a relationship there. The trees say, well, we're going we're gonna to have our seeds dispersed by bats. Therefore, we'll put more nectar out at night, not for birds, but for bats. And we'll make it a colour that they'll see at night. So they don't make it a big, don't make it a red, but make it a white flower. That, does that sound right? right? Like, yes, but it, not, they're not dispersing seeds, they're pollinating. Pollinating. Mm. Oh, yeah. sorry. Okay. So yeah. pollinating. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so different, wow. different types of flying foxes have, they have varied diets depending on where they live. And some of them have a higher concentration of nectar in their diet and others have more fruit. So the ones mm. that are like the spectacled flying foxes that are in the rainforest are mm. able to feed more on fruit. But they do still feed on nectar mm. as well. Well, the, these, these trees near my place, at the end of the season, they'd start to ferment. And so <laughs> despite the fact that they have good vision, these bats were actually a bit blind. <laughs> do they get drunk? Do they actually get drunk of fermented juice? Not that I know of. Not that I know of? Okay. Not that I know of, but I can't say I've ever <laughs> run an experiment or anything. They like never that. run a little tiny breathalyzer <laughs> on a <laughs> bat. <laughs> All over. Right. Oh, no, I've been busted. Do you know how quickly you were flying there, sir? I have no idea. That's right. Um, <laughs> But if you've ever seen a bat on the ground, which is what we were talking about mm. before, they're hopeless. They're terrible. They do look like they're drunk because they're scrambling mm. to get up to a tree. And they're just desperately trying to get up somewhere high. See, I like Batman. As people know on the podcast, I am obsessed with Batman, and as any grown man is, obviously. Yeah. We're all obsessed with Batman. That's um, what we're. That's what men of my age. Uh, anyway, um, but now and, and sometimes people go, "Damn it, Batman! Look, it's Batman, that fluttering mouse or the flying mouse." And uh, they're not mice, are they? No, they're not. Even, not. not even related. Are they close to mice? Is it, are they a cousin of mice? Oh, look the the argument about the lineage of bats is is a really long and complicated one. Excellent. Everyone, sit um, down. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to start from the start. But in a nutshell, it used to be thought that flying foxes and echolocating bats were two very different animals and that flight evolved twice in mammals. Oh, right. Um, are, they that, the, are bats the only flying mammal? They are. So what, what about like flying squirrels and those sort of things? They're gliding. Gliding, they're gliding glide. not true flight. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so stick a jet to win. one. What's the, but what's the difference? <laughs> <for a while. laughs> I, I, I saw a picture, uh, speaking of flying mammals, it looks like uh, in the Middle Ages, they, look, there's a picture I saw, and it's got a cat with a rocket engine attached to its back. And, 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 was, and I saw these, these, these carvings from, from the Middle Ages, and you're like, Did, what? Do people actually make cats that, you know, what was that about? And uh, flying cats. But no, what it is, it, you go, oh, cute, flying cats. But actually, it was a really horrible thing because it was actually a way of, of scaring animals that they, they would attach explosives to a cat and the cat would run away and go, boom, and kill the cat and scare it. It was a horrible thing. It was a terrible thing. But anyway, so uh, what's true flight? Does that mean that they... How do you define true flight? Okay, that's a good question. It's actually being able to manoeuvre mm. and sustain flight for a long time. So right. usually gliding mammals will only glide from one tree to another. Mm. Being yeah. able to be... Yeah. But going up, I going, imagine, is a, but, is a but big But they can't go up from the ground. Here's the point I'm trying to make. No. A bird yeah, can take off from the ground and fly into the sky, but yeah. a bat can't. But a bat yes. can fly. But it's still flying. It can start at a low point and go to a high point. 
flying squirrels yeah. have a bit of trouble with that. So get, yeah, so a flying mm-hmm. fox will travel 20 kilometres in a night to forage. Right. So okay. that is... It's not gliding, it's, it's true flight. It's okay. true flight. Okay, yeah. yep. Yeah. And, it's only, and it's the only flying mammal. That's right. Right. And they, they thought there was two flying mammals once. Okay, so yes, they thought that flight had arisen twice, but since genetics got involved, they mm. made it really complicated. So that was a really nice story. It was mm. very easy. Mm-hmm. And they thought that the flying foxes were more closely related to primates, so things uh. like lemurs. and they the way they looked. Exactly. So they were looking at right. the way that they looked and a, a lot of other diagnostic characteristics and saying that they look more like primates, therefore they must have evolved from primates and <laughs> that the smaller bats or the echolocating bats were more likely to have evolved from shrews. Right. But now with genetics it became complicated and it's a mm. similar story except there's an echolocating bat, the, the, a group called the rhinolophids, and they sit somewhere in the middle of the flying foxes, which actually shows that flight evolved once. Flight and right. that flying foxes actually came off at some point. Ah, so it was like a small, a, a small bat that flying foxes evolved away from the, yep. the, the original bat. Oh, yeah. okay. But there we go. The, the argument still continues. Ooh. It's, it's a to be advised. Who knows, in a few years' time, you know, there's some people that are arguing with the genetics, and I'm not a geneticist, so mm. I don't get involved in that, but mm. I try and keep up with what's happening. If you're an angry geneticist or trotterologist who disagrees with Dr. Parsons, right on in. We'll have, we'll have a fight about bat evolution. Very cool. Do all bats live in colonies of, like, just millions of bats? Because there is a colony near my place, near my mango trees, and in the height of summer, there's just millions of bats swarming out of there. Is that common? So you live in Brisbane, I take it? Uh, yep, at yes, Deegan. and these are flying foxes? Yes. Okay. So flying foxes do live in what we call camps. Colony is probably not the right word to use just because they do move between them. So, oh, I see. Um, we tend to call them camps. Yes, there can be, mil- uh, well, maybe not millions, but a million animals living in wow. one roost. So there's a migratory species, a little red flying fox, and it moves from northern Australia down south and back up again. It does these thousands of kilometres in its wow. migration every year. And when they turn up, they turn up in really big numbers. And they're the ones, when you hear about flying foxes in the media, it tends to be that little red flying foxes have turned up somewhere. Ah, right. And everyone's gone, oh, no, we're being overtaken (laughs) by bats. And it's just purely these migratory species that have come in because there's a eucalypt in blossom or Mm. something else that they're interested in feeding on that's in the area, and they just come and roost at the local camp. Wow. And that may be a camp that has a few thousand black flying foxes or grey-headed mm. flying foxes normally, ah. but just at sometimes the year it really, really expands up um, with this influx of little reds. Are they truly social animals, or they, as in, do they do they all look after each other? So, you know, like with elephants, you get a herd of elephants, and, and they will actually protect each other and all the young, because that's like a big deal with them. Or do bats just clump together, kind of like zebras clump together, as in they, just, just if we're all together, we can't all get picked off? I think it's a bit of both, but they truly are social. Okay, they are yeah, social animals? Absolutely, okay. yeah. So a lot of it is about, I'm sure, predator avoidance. Then what eats a flying fox? Hang on, sorry, just a... Birds of prey, so white-bellied sea eagles, snakes. Oh, okay. Well. So large carpet pythons will take a flying fox. Wow. You'd have to be How? 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, what? he sneaks up. But, uh, I mean, they, they're a bit sleepy during the day. Yeah, I suppose. Okay, so then climbs a tree. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, uh, so I guess that's sorry, yeah. just, off, uh, off topic. I just again. jumped just from sideways. So, so they. That's the. That's pretty much the. Uh, yeah. The, the, the gist of the entire <laughs> many, podcast. But many, many listeners go. For goodness' sake, you asked a question. Three words in, you asked another question. <laughs> Let them answer. They are social creatures. They are social. Okay. And there's a few interesting behaviours in lots of different bats, and I couldn't even touch on them all tonight. But mm. there's been reports of midwifery in some bats where some older, more mature female bats will assist a young first-time mother in catching her baby when she delivers the young. Oh, wow, because um, they'll be up in a tree. Yeah. And what just the? hanging there. What the? Are they, do they hang upside down? And does the baby then get squeezed out the, above them? <laughs> How does that how does that work? No, well, it's <laughs> like... appearing like out of a tube of toothpaste. ta <laughs> <laughs> Like, does it come down onto the ground? And there's, an, like... there's an image for you, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> they actually can suspend themselves from their thumbs, which is what they do when they go to the toilet, so they don't pee or poo. Right. Oh, really? Yeah. I had always been told, I don't, or maybe I'd read it in some stupid <laughs> kid's book, that they would hang upside down and they would just pee all over themselves. Not no, true. And not that's why they smell so awful. No. Aww. Look, they've got a very unique smell, and <laughs> a lot of that's to do with the big burly males. They tend to have a pretty pretty good mm. pong about them. Yeah. That's, that's just male. But it's not them that's paying male. themselves. That's yeah. just male humans. That's just male. Every, every male at mammal, every animal just has a musk. Let's face it. Men are disgusting. But, but okay, so it's hanging on by its thumbs yep. so that it can give birth downwards. Gravity assist. <laughs> but then it's just going to fall all the way to the ground. How does it? Like so, a little blank handkerchief. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Got to remember because I haven't seen a bat give birth for a very long time. <laughs> how, how it happens. But I like think the they... egg pops out. Yeah. <laughs> no. So I think, they, I think they invert. But I do know that there has to be some sort of cusping of the baby when they do come out so that they can get to the nipple, which is under the arm. So. What? Yeah. It's under the arm? It's under the arm. So, so <laughs> flying foxes actually carry their young for the first... First of course, because they're mammals. Yes. So lactating and stuff. Lactating, yeah, that's yeah. right. So Look. they have a nipple under their arm and the baby attaches under the arm and then it actually lays across their chest and kind of tucks in under the other arm so that when she's flying, the baby hangs They up. fly with babies attached to them. <laughs> like, a, like a furry bra. These, I, 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 I'm, 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 I'm taking in too much information right now. <laughs> I, I know this is going to sound like a really dumb question, but I'm going to come in with it now. You said a nipple. They have two, don't they? they two, yeah. Do they have more than two or only two? No, just two. Because, oh, um, okay. yeah, they usually have single single birth. Mm. I, read, I read somewhere recently that, and I don't know how true this is, and maybe you know, maybe you don't, but it's the idea that the number of nipples divided by two is normally the number of babies that an animal has. So humans normally have one baby at a time. And it seems like it might work. Like dogs could have eight nipples and four puppies. And they could have more or less. But I, I heard it and went, that sounds right, but I just mm. don't know. What, but how, so how many <laughs> babies do bats have at a time? Just one. Just the one? Yeah. Are there, is there ever an instance twins? of twins? Not that I know of, but I wouldn't be surprised. I can't imagine that they How would, would survive, they survive? Yeah, see, one would fall off. And, I, I, yeah. I imagine that they'd Because you go, catch, to... done. Done, yeah. yeah. Look, what was that? No, we're saying about midwives. So there's, there's evidence yeah, of midwives. Ev- I mean, I personally haven't seen it, but mm. I, I remember reading about it, that that happens. The Dayak fruit bat in Malaysia, they don't know exactly what happens, but the males lactate. Wow. It'd be really interesting to find out what's that's, happening there. Yeah, that's um, confusing. There, I think vampire bats actually will regurgitate food for related bats. So not necessarily oh, their oh, young, wow. but to 
to bats oh, that are oh, right, actually okay. related to them. So they've done studies where they've tested the genetics of the bats. And, and when you say food, you mean Romanians, don't you? <laughs> that's, what that's, that's the code we're using here. Right. Yes, Romanians. Okay, good. Right, we got it now. That's right. So, yeah, incredibly social. <laughs> okay, and, right. and lots of work at the moment is looking at vocalisations in flying foxes because they've got quite an interesting repertoire of vocalisations in the camp. If ever, well, if you've got a camp near you, you mm. know how noisy they are. Yes. And microbats and flying foxes, once the babies get to a certain weight, they can't carry them out anymore when they fly out, so they leave them behind. Mm. Then they have to find their babies, sometimes uh. amongst thousands oh of other goodness. babies. So, you know, they have to be Gerald. able to communicate. Gerald! That's Mom! Right. Gerald! Mom! Gerald! Mom! Wave your wing! No, wait! <laughs> So the mechanism of that is really interesting and a lot of people are working on that, whether it's that they are actually vocalising or mm. whether there's there's some other way that they're communicating with each other that Texting. that's my baby and that's yeah. not. Maybe you go back to a different baby and I don't realise. Oh, you see it sometimes when you're in a camp and you see a mother fly down and another baby runs over going, are you my mother? Oh. And they just go, whack. Oh, really? <laughs> not that <laughs> social then. Not... <laughs> wow. Yes. Mm, that's, things, anyway. you, things you don't see in a shopping centre with humans, hopefully. So, so do all bats fly? Yes. Yes, so there's no bats that are like kiwis. They're just, they're just giving up. Big they're, fat they're, bats yeah. that migrate across the a, Arctic. Um, there's a cool bat in New Zealand, a Mr. Cena, and it, it actually has pollinating relationship with a really ancient plant in New Zealand that only grows on the ground, and it flies down onto the ground to feed off this plant, and without the bats, the plant can't continue oh, living, mm-hmm. and wow. they're having a real problem because the bats are coming down onto the ground, and now in New Zealand, with all the introduced predators, they're then getting munched by mm. cats and, mm, mm. and such things. So. Cockapoes. The angry yes. cockapoo. No. So there you go. There's a bat that... Go- and if you've They stay oh, on the ground. So they, they can fly, but they... They, they don't stay on the ground, but mm. they will... And they, unlike flying foxes, actually get along really well on the ground. And there's oh. some really cool footage. If anyone ever wants to look on YouTube or anything like that, of a, a look up a New Zealand bat on the ground and some really cool footage of it walking on the ground, essentially walking. You've got to wonder. That's, that's really interesting. You've got to wonder if, if humans hadn't turned up give it another 100,000 years, or would you have a flightless bat just hanging around New Zealand? Because, you know, mm-hmm. in New Zealand, everything just went, oh, screw it, we're not flying. Flying, flying's <laughs> chumps. I'm going to lie here in a hole and eat all the fruit. That's all. <laughs> just pour the fruit into my face. Like, yeah. like the kakapo, the, the, the parrot and that sort of stuff. Yeah. But that's, oh, we just came too early. There's a, there's a t- terrible TV show. It's finished now called Primeval, and it was ITV's answer to Doctor Who. They, it was like, you know, dimensional portals and time travel and stuff. And in that, they had a, they had all these, they could go back and fight time and fight dinosaurs, which, you know, what else would you do? But they have a, a future portal opened. The ultimate apex predator comes barreling through, and they go, oh, it's a gorilla. Oh, no. And it's trying to kill them, and it's really powerful, and it, and it can hide, and it's terrifying. It jumps out of ceilings and eats people. And then they work out it's a bat. They work out it's actually a, a, a 200,000 years in the future. Bats get real, this bat gets really big and it's like a size of a gorilla and it echolocates and screams at people. And it was actually a, a really terrifying monster because it had a weird face and it was awful. Was an I awful have thing. heard Sorry. that bats are one of nature's great survivors and that they're kind of seen by some like the cockroach will outlive us. And is that true? Are bats that hardy? I certainly wouldn't say that. I think flying foxes have put up with a lot. And they've been pretty tough. Mm-hmm. But an example would be in the microbat world, white nose syndrome that's happening in the US at the moment. And it's a fungus that is killing off bats in caves by 
the thousands, and it's really, really concerning. They're just dropping dead. And so, as it grows, just grows on their on their nose, or yeah, it grows around their nose mm. and gets into their respiratory system. Oh, right. And is this just a natural phenomenon, or is this well an interesting thing? Usually, where to blame? <laughs> yeah, and yeah. we probably mm. are. Yeah, well. And I don't know where the research on white nose syndrome is at the moment, but the last I heard, so they've discovered it in Europe, and the bats mm. in Europe are not dying from it. So it's, ah. it's possible that it's been introduced to the US and the US bats just aren't coping. So a similar story, I guess, to the chytrid fungus in Australia, that there were lots of there was spe- speculation with chytrid fungus in the frog populations that it may have actually been researchers that spread the... Oh, uh, no! Uh, <laughs> yeah, so they then uh. had to introduce all these protocols for researchers, that, you know, w- mm. when they went into streams to make sure that they weren't spreading anything. Right, OK. So, yeah, like I say, I, I haven't heard the latest, but... Mm. Yeah, how big possible. is a big flying fox? Like how big can a flying fox get? Oh, pretty big. <laughs> <laughs> like a small car? Possibly not. <laughs> um, in Australia, we get them a kilo or so, right. which is quite big and, for something that stays in the air yeah, the, for a while. Yeah, right. and, and a wingspan of um, like a metre or bigger than that? or Yeah, about a metre. About a yeah. metre. Okay, that's quite a big animal. Yeah. So fly- Are they hollow-boned like birds? No, they're not. Okay. Yeah, which is why when I was approached by the aviation industry, they were really concerned about bats in ah. aircraft. Mm. Because mm. unlike birds who have those light pneumatised bones, the bats mm. have... Rather than bouncing off, they're just going to go straight <laughs> through the cabin. That's yeah. right. They, they, wow. they have quite an impact. and Lots of energy to stay afloat then, because the whole point of birds... That's big, right. So they're not using... I mean, birds have the big breastbone, breast muscles to keep them up. Yep. Uh, the keel, sorry, the, the keel muscles. But so bats don't have that, do they? Bats are not using that no, muscle they at have, all. No, they have their, their shoulders and their chests are actually quite muscular. Mm. But, yeah, they do require a lot of energy, which is why they're constantly flying from pr- tree to tree feeding. One thing, unlike birds, which kind of look graceful, it, bats always look like they're vaguely struggling. I mean, <laughs> like, I, I, I'd say, like, you watch them a lot and, and they're in the air and you watch it going, it's an animal going, ah, I just, I can, I can do this. I can, and, and, and it flops, you know. And I, I, I love them. No, but, you're crazy. Really? Like, as soon as they, it's that first couple of seconds, which is the problem for them. And then suddenly they're just gliding off into the darkness. You watch them go overhead, hundreds of them just... Whoosh, uh, like a dart. Oh, yeah. to do this to me. They're not doing that. Oh, They're not fair doing fair that. Fine, fine. I, I think you're probably talking about when they first take off. Oh, okay. Maybe fine. you're seeing them at that and point. The, and a lot I'm of being birds, wrong a lot in this graceful. podcast. It's awesome. Some of those big birds are not very graceful either. If you've ever seen an albatross land, well, that's, that's like... That's hilarious. That's just that's like <laughs> crashing a glider it's into a the Cessna. ground. <laughs> so this lost at sea. When you talk about bats being hardy, I, the temperature, razor and temperature can kill them by the thousands, can't it? They, they don't deal oh, well yes. with high temperatures. That's right. Thanks for reminding me of that. Yes, uh, there have been some pretty serious mass mortalities in flying foxes in Australia recently, mm. the heat waves that we had. So once the temperature gets over 40, so up to around 43, the bats behave That's really Celsius, by the way, just for our listeners. That's Celsius. That's serious temperature. That's not mess. Like over 100 degrees Fahrenheit. They they start displaying these very strange behaviours where the bats come down lower in the trees. They're panting. Mm. They're flapping their wings. They're mm. doing all of the things that they can to cool down, but eventually they just die and die by the thousands. Mm. We recently lost a, a, an awful lot. Mm. of bats mm. as a result of, uh, I think, two or three heat waves in a row, one in mm. Brisbane, then down in, in Melbourne. So, so right, or not just, in, not just in Brisbane. Yeah. Okay. Well, the connected question I wanted to ask before, I, I forgot, I know what they eat, fruit or nectar. 
What are they? Do they do they need to drink water, or are they like koalas and only get the water from their food? Oh, the way that they drink water is quite cool, actually. They, mm. if you've ever been canoeing on a river at night, you might see flying foxes actually diving down into the water, and it looks like they're they're just having a bit of a dip. But what they do is they get their chest wet, mm. so they fly down low enough to get water on the chest and then they fly into a tree and then they lap that water up. I've, I've, just, I've got this <laughs> mental image of, really? this, of this airborne Mr. Darcy. <laughs> <Just. laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a very complicated way to get water. It is. That's not an easy, easy way to drink. But if you can't walk very well, I suppose you've got no other choice. You can't just wander down to the water's edge. You can't see, you can't just land, drink, and then take off. That's right. So yeah. you've got to kind of do this weird acrobatic stuff. Mm. Wow, okay. But so, the, in North Queensland, the crocodiles quite like that. <laughs> so they're fast enough just to be like, <laughs> jump. Does that happen? Apparently. Oh. Well, I've seen it happen, but okay. yeah. Now, we've mentioned a few times flying foxes in Australia, but you were t- the way you were talking before, is it endemic to Australia? Is it something that's only found in Australia, or is it around the world, flying foxes, I mean. It tends to be distributed around the tropics. So mm-hmm. the teropus you tend to find just in Australia and Indonesia. What's teropus? Um, Sorry. Large flying foxes you tend to okay. find around Australia, Indonesia and Southeast Asia, those sorts of areas, right. Papua New Guinea, mm. Timor, all that sort of area you find flying foxes. And so. then elsewhere in the tropics, like in South America and stuff, you find they're not flying foxes but they're... Um, they actually have echolocating bats that do eat fruit and nectar, whereas mm. in Australia we don't have echolocating bats that eat fruit and nectar. Right. So they've so flying foxes have filled the niche here, but in South America yep. that niche has been filled by something else. Yeah. Are they big animals in in South America? Like they big big bats? Not as big as ours. Not as big as ours. Okay. That's that's a that's an evolutionary thing that's happened here. Yeah. I wonder if that's got to do with island. You know, so on islands animals either get really small, like pygmy elephants, or they get really really big for some reason. I wonder if that's the same with bats. I wonder if bats got really big because, or comparatively, are they the biggest bat? Flying foxes? Yes. They are the biggest bat. Okay, there we go. So this Hmm. is yet another probably stupid question. But has anyone ever tamed a bat or made it like a pet? In the first Batman Begins movie, he did a thing with his foot and it made them... Okay, sorry. In real life. Don't ruin my joy. They're actually quite lovely animals, believe it or not. Oh, wow. Yeah. When I first was working with bats I worked as a carer for a little while and I'd raise little baby bats and release them and you know my it's so, so like I've stopped you there yep. please I just have this image of you standing at night going fly my pretties fly and all these bats go <laughs> into the air please tell I, me that's I, what I, it was I did not have that image oh, okay, I had fine. a much more respectful image <laughs> sorry. of her professional work sorry sorry <laughs> go on please Anyway. <laughs> hear that hear that derision? Yeah, that was for you. I heard the tone. I heard the tone. I am chastised. Yes. So my goal was always to release them, but some carers would have bats that they would get quite attached to that wouldn't be very wild, mm. that they were like their babies. They would <laughs> hang off them. They would like cuddles and tickles and those sorts of things and Certainly not the best thing for releasing animals, but um, <laughs> it did happen occasionally. And there are bats in zoos and stuff like that. That uh, Also, there's a bat hospital up in Atherton where they have quite a few animals that haven't been able to be released, so they have an educational facility there. I just want to, I just, I just want to have, write a check out to that place and under Bruce Wayne. And just, that's it. <laughs> Bruce Wayne's bat hospital. It has to happen. <laughs> it, I, will, uh, I will earn a million dollars and give it to that hospital just so I can call it Bruce Wayne's bat hospital. It has to happen. <laughs> Please. I just want to rename it Batherton 
that's that's very good answer. No, yes. subtle. No. Oh look, I think you could name it what you'd like if you'd raise them a million dollars. That would right. be wonderful. You hear that, <laughs> listeners? We can do this. Okay. We can do this. <laughs> We got eight entries for the Name the Earth's Moon competition. You want them to de- donate a million dollars. A million dollars. Come on. Come on. Don't let me down, listeners. For a joke, basically. A good joke, though. And, you know, the betterment of bats. Oh, well, that's yeah. true, too. So, that's, uh-huh. that's right. Bat conservation and care. And it, yeah. Uh, so are they... I mean, we, we have, you have bees that pollinate and you have birds that pollinate and seed. So are bats important to that sort of thing, to, to pollination and to... If they all went and fell out of the trees and died, would that be a major disaster for, for us as humans or the planet in general? Look, that's a good question. I personally think there would be a problem. I don't know mm. that it would be as massive a problem as if something had happened to the bees or mm. such things because they do pollinate, but I don't know that it's as important a role as some other species. But mm. I think it's still a very important role that they do. Mm. And some of the species that they do pollinate may not necessarily be attractive to the other pollinating animals. So particularly there are some that, like I said before, will only produce nectar at night and mm. that they're the ones that would be really affected. So I think it's a really important role. I think the seed dispersal is also a really important role. And something else that I discovered in my honours was that they also disperse bryophytes, which was not known before. What's, so what's that's what, what? Mosses, mosses and liverworts. Oh, right. I spent a lot of time looking at bat poo. Um, because I was looking at what they were feeding on to see what they were, what they were, what type of plants they were pollinating, Mm. seed dispersing, that sort of thing. And I kept finding fragments of moss in Mm. the feces. And a dear friend of mine was a bryologist and I went and spoke to her and I extracted some bryophytes from the feces. We then ran an experiment and grew the bryophytes and they all regenerated. So So you actually proved that they spread mosses in the, in the feces. That's right. So it was, it was Is there a paper cool. people can go and find? There is. Ooh. It's in Ecologia, I think 2006. We'll put a link to it for you. There you go. Okay. Uh, living in southeast Queensland, is there something that I can do to welcome bats into my property? I guess the best thing you can do is by planting native trees. So making sure that there are native trees around. And I think the Mangoes, other... obviously, right up there. Well, <laughs> mangoes, I, I don't know if they help the bat's cause because they tend to upset people when they eat mangoes because they drop them on roofs and, mm-hmm. and such things. Clang! Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know all about that, I'm sure. Um, but I guess the thing that would really help their cause is just demystifying a lot of the stories mm. about bats and talking more about the important ecological mm. roles that they have and... A lot of the stuff about the diseases that people are concerned about that understandable and mm. 100% support people in being concerned. But at the end of the day, as long as you're not handling bats, you shouldn't have a problem. You're, and you're not, you're just, you're touching, it's, it's a wild animal, you should probably just leave it alone. Exactly. Now on the flip side of that, and of course no one, no one would really take much stock of or need this information, but if someone really liked their mango tree and wanted to keep <laughs> bats out of their garden, Without what, are, them. what are some natural, oh look, let, you know, Everything's on the. T- this is a bl- this is a blue sky session. How would one find a natural solution to keeping bats away from their property? Not having a mango tree would be right. <laughs> right. There I'll you get, I'll you get heard of here first. No fruit trees. I I know up uh, in Charters Towers they have a lot of bats in the centre of town. Like every second day, they've got trucks going around blowing horns and pumping smoke mm. up into the trees, and the bats jump out of the tree and they fly around for like. 
six minutes and then they land back in the tree again. Yes, Charters Towers is very, very ongoing, difficult situation. Mm. You know, I feel for the people that live there. It can't be nice to have what, so many noisy, crazy Is it the smell? There, is it the, 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 the feces smell? It's the noise, smells? it's the smell, mm. it's the concern about disease. Mm. It's a lot of things. And the people in Charters Towers have been dealing with bats in their community for a very long time. Mm. There was an article that was found by a colleague of mine from, I think it was 1921, where they were asking people to gather with shotguns to come and move the bats. And, um, and there was a there was a count of how many bats, in a, in a later article, how many bats were shot and, and also how many humans. So. <laughs> the bats fought back. <laughs> so, yeah. It's, Get the um, guns. It, it's an ongoing issue and I wish I had a silver bullet where I could go, this is... You Bad know, choice metaphorical. 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 That's right. And he kills werebats. Well, Sorry. <laughs> if I had a solution, I'd be a very rich woman mm. because it would be nice to find a really easy, non-lethal, inexpensive method of moving flying foxes on. Mm. But at the end of the day, it's generally something in the environment that they're there for and it tends to be because they're feeding on something. So it's a tricky one. There's a school about an hour from Brisbane and I went to teach there a couple of, a year ago or so and it was a brand new school, totally brand new school and I was like, oh, you obviously have been around for a while. Said, oh, this school's been here for a hundred years or so. I'm like, mm, it looks pretty new. I said, oh, this is the second location for the school and what happened with them? That the bats said all these bats had turned up and, and decided to move into the, into the old school, into the roof and everything. I don't know what sort of bats, but they'd all moved in and they were pooing and making smells and animals and things with maggots and oh, it was all very bad and they were trying to scare them out and they couldn't and bats just kept coming back and in the end, <laughs> council of that town built a fake cave in this hillside for the bats to go and live which is really a nice thing for them to do and the bats are like no no we really like this roof this roof <laughs> is awesome like why would we want that's great but this roof is brilliant and so it, they they just it, it ruined these buildings so much that they went ah oh, screw it we'll just go build a school somewhere else <laughs> and they built a brand new school that had, had those new lovely new buildings and just wow. knocked the other ones down the bats are like fine we're gonna live in your cave and there was that horrible thought that went Oh, are they going to find the new school? Uh, is it the school they're really into? <laughs> but they all moved into the cave, and now they live in this fake, fake kind of this enclosure oh, wow. thing. So, but, so they do live in attics. Not flying foxes. Not flying no. foxes. I didn't say it was flying foxes. It was yeah, bats. No, was bats. You, you're right. No, I've, I've been um, careful. <laughs> Not so three times. The echolocating bats will go into the roof. Yep. Mm. Yep. And, wow. Um, Up there with the ghosts rattling chains. <laughs> <laughs> But there are there's techniques of getting them out of roofs, and I'd recommend. Can I plug the Australasian Bat Society website? Absolutely. For any general information on bats, it's a very good source, particularly for Australian bats, mm. or for international. There's Bat Conservation International, and they've also got good resources. So how, how do you get a bat out of your roof? Put a mango tree in the yard. <laughs> Generally, it's, it involves using plastic sheeting and getting them out because you have to make sure they're all out. Right? <laughs> I just have this image of, of holding two brooms with plastic sheetings. I'm a large bat. Follow me to freedom. <laughs> flapping, flapping wildly. And watching you going, no. Yeah, no, there's, there's no, no theatrics oh. necessary, I'm afraid. Um, Not necessary, but always welcome. <laughs> always welcome. But, yeah, it's about finding out where they're getting in, number one. Mm. And then you don't want to seal up the entrance because then they'll be stuck in there, obviously. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a method where you can allow all the bats to fly out. So if you put the plastic over the hole, they find it difficult to get back in again. Mm. Ah. And then once all the bats are gone, then sealing up. Like a reverse holes. crab trap. I guess. But yes, instructions, ABS websites. Please, we will put links in the show notes to the, to the website. 
I'd like to just change the subject, um, Dr. Parsons, if I may. I mean, because I want to talk about you for a moment, if that's all right. Because you've come to being a tropterologist with zoology and ecology, and that's a lot of work. But you didn't come from it in what we consider the normal way, is it? as in you, you didn't kind of leave school at grade 12 with your OP1 and, and then become a scientist. Is that correct to say? It is, yes. So yes I'm, I, why I'm mentioning this is because I, I'm really excited by the idea of adult education and I'm really excited by people. Cause a lot of things people get older and they go, oh, that's it, I've lost my chance. And they give up and they go, oh, I can never be a doctor, I can never get a degree, I can never, I can never do my master's or whatever. They, they always just seem to go, I can't. And life is busy and I get that. Could you just please tell your experience of how you got to where you are today? I wasn't interested in school at all. I was much more interested in boys and drinking <laughs> and generally being naughty. Um, <laughs> so I dropped out of school. And at, at what grade, may I ask? I think it was at the end of grade nine. Goodness me. Wow. And okay. Wow, with all the kids who became mechanics. That's right, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And anyway, I... Not with a PhD. You went like a Doogie Howser-like character. Like, <laughs> at the end of grade nine, they went, okay, you can go, and now you're a doctor, get out. I wish. No. <laughs> oh, for, for the listeners who, are, who aren't a million years old, Doogie Howser was Neil Patrick Harris before he was famous. Look him up on the internet. People don't know who Doogie Howser is anymore. I'm, I'm old. That's fine. Go on. No, I'm sorry. That's all right. <laughs> yes. I worked in retail for a long time mm-hmm. and didn't find that extremely stimulating. I mean, it was interesting, but thought there were more things that I wanted to do. So I'm trying to think what the progress progression just, was. Can I just say, because I said before that, that mm-hmm. I know Jen professionally, and I just find it fascinating that, that you and I were sort of, I didn't know you back then. I discovered that I went into your shop. You, you ran a clothing store, is that correct? In the yes. centre of Brisbane? In Fortitude Valley. In Fortitude Valley. Yeah. And that was right in the middle of my goth period yeah. when I would have gone into your store. And I remember that store very clearly when we talked about this. That's I, right. And so I, it's funny how the world works. It's just sort of like, odd. You, you would have seen me. I would have been, I would have been a very strange looking kid. That's right. So well, we, we while, had a lot. So while all your friends were <laughs> discovering the, uh, the, the, the difficulties of becoming a marine biologist, you were <laughs> selling black clothing to Greg. <laughs> to, to round roly-poly well, fellows. I, I think my interests were already already coming through it was an ethical gift shop so um everything in it had an ethically re- redeeming might, quality might might stop. wait for a moment yes, yes. As, as the world ends above us I I forgot, is. That is. i forgot that tarot kindy's in a flight bar <laughs> every item that we stocked so i was in in a partnership with my brother-in-law at the time and so we decided that you know everything had to have an ethically redeeming quality of some sort so mm made by a local artist or made of recycled products, all these sorts of things, you know. Mm. So, so those sorts of concern about the environment, mm. that sort of thing was starting to, to show up in my life. So when I left the shop, I started my undergrad, but I did it part-time and a lot of it by how old you were at that point? I think that was my early 20s, early but 20s, I, only, yep. I was only doing one subject. Mm. So mm. I kind of just slowly, slowly, slowly ate away at, at my undergrad. That would take a while, yes. And I had all sorts of jobs after that that ranged from working in a newspaper factory to working at the casino as a croupier. Um, <laughs> Ooh. All, all things that were very interesting. And, and, and uh, a subject for another podcast. That's right. <laughs> all this time I was continuing to study mm. and doing it slowly while working. Mm. Did that ever put you off, that you were doing like one subject? Because that, that means four years to... You take you four years to do one year's worth of work and that sort of stuff. It would take a long time to get through. But... But you're just chipping away. Just chipping away. And I think mm. 
because I was interested. It wasn't so much about the end point. It was just about, oh, this is a really cool thing to study. Mm. I'm interested in this. I want to learn more. Mm. So that was my push. I can't not so imagine much. being interested in the thing I'm being schooled at. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And that's why I'm having this conversation, Dan. That's why we're having this conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, perhaps if I'd been interested at school, mm-hmm. it would have happened a lot quicker. But that's Maybe. okay. But, yeah. but it was an interesting path. So I then started volunteering for the koala hospital and cleaning koala bums and <laughs> doing a few things there, joined some land care groups and mm. that sort of thing. And, you know, it, was, it sort of spiralled and spiralled and spiralled. And then one of my volunteer positions... A manager fell ill and they needed someone to move up into that position. So the person underneath them moved up into the position and I was offered the lower position, which was working as a ranger. So I did that for quite a few years, worked as a ranger. Can you say that that as a child, that's when people asked me when I was seven, what was I going to be? I said a wild park (laughs) ranger. That's what I said. It was yeah. then, or then the next one was Prime Minister of Australia. But that was my first one was, uh, was Park Ranger. That was the first job I ever thought I'd be in. Astronauts or firemen. I was a Park Ranger. Could you imagine me as a Park Ranger? That, <laughs> well, the beard helps. Well, the beard now the kind beard of gets a bit Harry Butler-esque. It gets getting there, but... You the, know, that, that's interesting because when I was your age, I wanted to be a taxidermist. <laughs> there you go. So, you would have made, made quite the team. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. Well, no, no, I, I'd be there to pick up the pieces. Yes, yes, but for <laughs> like, my... I'd, I'd be there if you let one through to the keeper. That's right. I'd be the keeper. Dan, I, Dan, another bat fell on its head. Just, just stuff it and put it back in the tree. It'll be fine. <laughs> oh, but you know, so just so park ranger. So, so your your life, your your experiences have grown. You're still working at your undergraduate at this point. And That's so, right. Just science, a science yep. undergraduate. Yeah. Yep. I I started off a diploma because mm. obviously I didn't finish school, so mm. I needed to build up subjects so that I could actually get into a into a degree so Mm. I had to do some bridging subjects I had to sit a test to show Mm. that I was able to do it just chipping away over time while I was doing having all of these experiences Mm. loved working as a ranger I also worked for the RSPCA as well Mm. with wildlife and so did all that stuff sort of cut in with the drinking and meeting boys part of things was that (laughs) I think you moved on from that oh all right I got that out of my system (laughs) gotcha (laughs) I think, no. <laughs> hey, the door's locked. <laughs> wow. Okay. Um, so, but now that's, I've heard of people, this is why I find amazing about your story is I've heard people who have done this and, and done undergraduate degrees and chipped mm. away at them, but they, they've gone and got their, their degree and whatever and then, then that's the end of it and they go get a job. But you have another level of a story, a, a much higher and much, in my mind, crazier level <laughs> that you took it to another level entirely. Yeah, well, um, I really, really enjoyed studying. I, I really wanted to continue doing it. At the end of my degree, I was kind of sad that it was finishing. So <laughs> that's when I decided to do my honours, and mm. that was the first independent research project I'd ever done. That was when I felt like I was in my element. Right. I was working independently. I was in the field. I was gathering data. I was mm. analysing mm. it. I was writing a story, and I just loved the entire process. And that's what sold me about going really? going on and doing further study. So, did you do your PhD full time? Yes. Yes. So you still, and how many years? That's, that's, that's three years or five years? Yeah. So it's supposed to be three years. Mm-hmm. I um, had a baby. 
See? While I was writing my PhD. That's why it's an amazing story. (laughs) All this stuff. People go, you you can either have a job or you can have a scientific career. You can't have children. And Mm. you seem to have done all these things. What she did was she got the, tucked the baby up into one armpit and wrapped (laughs) it across the front. (laughs) She was still able to work. All ties in. I'm amazed. So you got your PhD. Yes. Whilst doing everything else at the same time. Yes. Yeah, so, so it took longer than three years? It took mm. longer oh, than three sorry. years. So I think it was five years. Hmm. For, for the listeners who are listening who kind of go, oh, I can't possibly, I've got a job or I've got a boyfriend or I've got, you know, I've got this really important thing coming up. Get real. Seriously. <laughs> you have no excuse. If you're interested in what you're talking about, it, Dr. Parsons points out you can have a life and you can do what you love and you can go and get your higher education. If that's what you want to do, you can do it. It's the priority of doing it, though. And that's why I'm in awe of this woman. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, we're back now with Jen Parsons. We have more questions. Well, we're, not only do we have more problems, Jen was a little bit anxious about one element that she discussed, and we want to fix that so okay. she doesn't have to walk the walk of shame with Greg in oh, the next thanks. episode. <laughs> when Greg inevitably has gotten something wrong. And which I will. Oh, I promise. Because you said that bats hung on by their front legs to give birth. Oh, their thumbs. Their so, thumbs. Yeah. That's their thumbs are long, are they? Like because long. they invert when they go to the toilet. Mm. So I, when you were talking about gravity, and I thought, oh, okay, that's right. They they hang Poop out their a thumbs baby. when they have their babies, <laughs> but that's not actually correct. Mm. No, they do they do hang because they want to keep the baby. That's they right. They don't want to just let it drop to the ground like the poo. Exactly. Yeah. So I was wrong. So they and hang they hang by their feet. We just watched a video we on YouTube. Video it was quite graphic. Flying fox <laughs> giving birth, and, um, and they, my- they give birth to quite large, quite developed babies, mm-hmm. unlike marsupials. They're mm. placental mammals, so mm. they they have... We'll put a link to that video, and I, I, can I just say... I'm looking quite surprised. I think that my surprised. toothpaste analogy was a pretty good one. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's going to... Do you like your toothpaste brown and furry? Then it looks like a bat being born. There you go. <laughs> you squeeze it. Ah, it's like a bat. Now, I want one other question I need to I need to answer. Bats hang upside down, but when I hang upside down, like when, I, when I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be Batman and hang outside someone's like criminal's house... I, I hang up some of my toes, and then like six minutes later, I'm I'm passing out. So, and that's it. Because all the blood rushes to my head, and my brain and vessels explode. It's all very bad. Do bats have a problem with that? Do they have to like go the other way? No, they don't. So their circulatory system is essentially reversed, and they have a much larger heart, uh, proportionally to, than humans. Obviously, not larger as in bigger than ours. But, uh, <laughs> Whoa. It's a heart with ears and wings. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, they don't, they don't have to write themselves for that. So if you kept a bat the right way around, yes, I guess, yes. Oh, then so, it You're would so be an upward centric. It's like, <laughs> oh, I just, oh. Yes. So, so they, they'd have problems the other way. If you held a bat up... If you for held, too long, yeah. I mean, If you held under its wings or something and just go, I love you, Mr. Bat, it would go, oh, and it pass out in the end. Yeah, I, I suppose. Wow. So is it just the fact that heart's bigger or is there other, other valve systems that keep yeah, the blood? Yeah, the plumbing's just completely different. Right. Okay, that's fascinating. There mm. we go. Makes sense, I guess. Yeah. The exact same forces are at work on yeah. us and bats mm. when but, it comes to gravity and pressure. But upside down. And evolution's just going to start weeding out the ones with uh, mm. the, the right stuff. Well, we're weeding out the, the ones with the wrong stuff. <laughs> that's right. Thank you, Dr. Parsons. Anytime. Thank you again to Dr. Jen Parsons. That was one of my favourite interviews to record. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, even if you're not into bats, if you're sitting there thinking to yourself, why don't I have a degree or a higher degree, and you really want to, 
you can. It's, it's a priority thing. That's what I loved about that conversation with her. You can. If that's something you want to do, it is not too late. I don't care if you're 20. I don't care if you're 200. You can go and get that higher degree if that's what you want. It can be done. Cool. This is not a science thing at all. But we had a listener contact us, brand new listener. Ooh. They're going through the archive. They said they really liked the limericks. Is their name Xavier Mustafa? That it is not. Damn. Their name is Dustin Fallon. Oh, that was my second choice. They said, don't expect to be mentioned on the podcast, but a shout out would be amazing. And I was going to do the joke, oh, well, this is his name, but we're not going to shout you out. I mean, no, that's no. not what this podcast Cynical. is about. Cynical. Cynical. Yes. That's so right. with that in mind, I would like to introduce to the podcast... The Dustin Fallon Award for Excellence in Podcast Listening. We've won an award. No, no. Oh. We're going to give out an award. For I thought he gave us an award. No. no. I thought he created the award using his name. That's a bit dumb. We created the oh, award oh, right. to honour him. Who is this guy? He's just a guy, a listener. Oh, awesome. Yeah. But we want to award an award for Excellence in Podcast Listening. Right. So it's the Dustin Fallon Award for Excellence in Podcast Listening. So right. without further ado... The award, the Dustin Fallon Award for Excellence in Podcast Listening goes to... Norm Johnson! That's not Dustin Fallon. No, but Norm Johnson sent in an email many months ago <laughs> just saying, I really like the podcast, and he's sitting in his car right now going, Holy shit! That was my name! So the, the inaugural winner of the Dustin Fallon Award for Excellence in Podcast, podcast listening, listening goes to Norm Johnson. Special thanks to our sponsors, Christopher Porter and Terry Martin. We have sponsors? No, they're just two other people who sent in nice emails <laughs> in over the past couple of months. Oh, okay. And they're in their cars going, holy shit, what did I agree to? That's right. We will be taking microtransactions on all your accounts. Thank you. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. And the other voice, as always, is Greg at smartenough.org. Follow us on the Twitter. The Twitters. The Twitters. The Twitters. The Twitters. At SE2KB. And Facebook. SE2KB. Or go to iTunes and <gasps> click on the reviews and fill out a review and give us five stars. If you want to win the next Dustin Fallon Award for podcast listening go oh, excellence and podcast listening excellence the deadly if you want to hear the next <laughs> dustin fallon award for excellence in podcast listening if you want to hear the next dustin <laughs> fallon award for excellence you, in podcast listening if you want to win the next dustin fallon award for excellence in podcast listening maybe put your name up on itunes and give us a good review <laughs> see how we're playing this so you scratch my back like opportunity will one day do if we had chances of controlling it and we'll scratch yours you can get into our forums and have a chat to like-minded individuals and bots lots and of bots, bots. <laughs> and lots of no i seem to go i delete I, the bots i i but no, I, that's, I i like to see myself now as the sheriff of forum town i go in there and i ban hammer the heck out of them i'm just there going boom boom but they're getting cleverer too some of these like is that is, is that just a person with bad grammar or is that a bot they're bots yeah, yeah, yeah. but they're, they're but you're like oh it's clever it's asking me about plugging in ipads and things like clever clever uh, but anyway I, i'll be there to protect you from the nasty bots and as we always like to say oh, hold on i i had a point there
Yeah, I look, I can, I can, I can shine it up yeah, afterwards. Yeah, so that's right. We can polish but if it. I, we can polish it. <laughs> but if I said, don't do use that analogy. No, I wasn't. I said polish it. I said polish it. That's what I said. That's what I said. You, you read into that. We could polish this untarnished diamond. That's beautiful. Is what that's what I meant. Absolutely. Dear me. Kids always, you do something and kids go, it's magic. It's not magic, it's science. <laughs> Um, our goal is to make you sound as good as possible yes. and Fabulous. to treat you mm. like we want you to come on a, a second time. That's right. You won't just go, <laughs> oh, my God, no way. I'll never do that, yes. fall for that again. No. <laughs> so you, you, oh, hang on, I'm not sure. Are we, yeah, so, uh, that was, hang on, that's right. I'll do this better. I'll do better than this. Mm-hmm. So I won't cut it out, but he'll do better than this. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. I've got old Barry White. Oh, very nice. Ladies. My darling, I, I can't get enough for science, baby. I, um, Mostly biology, yeah. Down under the belt region, I've got measurable results. Do, do you want me to leave the room? Probably for the best. Can I leave the room, please? I need you to watch. I can't sing without an audience, amongst other things. Weirdly hunched up like a weird hunch. Life up. was never good to me. Lean and Ford. This is something my dad always used to do. It's like he'd hear a phrase that reminded him of a phrase in a song, and then he'd sing the song with right. the phrase in it. And I, dad. Yeah, I've become my dad. Nice. Become your dad. You mean that means what? Become my dad. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> become my dad. Nah, 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 nah. Does that mean you're going to grow a giant f off beard? No, I'm going to pass on that one. You say that now, but you're only young. You're only young and pretty. And like in 20 years' time, you're like, you know what I need? A big F off beard. But it's becoming cool now to have beards. Like it's kind of. No, it's becoming hipster to have beards. It's it's, it's common to have beards. It's becoming more common. You walk down the street, not just young people. People have have beards, which means. People are idiots, Greg. No, this is. First you mock them. Then you join them. That's how I think. That's how I think it works. That's how it works. There must be another m- point along that first trail. You, first you mock them. First, then you take a head injury. Then you join. First them. you ignore them. Yes. Then you laugh at them. Then you fight them. Right. Then you become them. Right. So at the moment you're you're not ignoring them. You're laughing at them. So you're going to start punching people in the street with beards. Hang on. Let me cover my face with my hand. Could you cover more of it? More. More. That's better. Wait a minute. Welcome to Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science, comedy. And ignorance? I am just going to edit the pause out. Fine. And now you're just going to sound like a, like really hesitant. <laughs> Fine. Let's start again then. Well, why don't we just, why don't we just a throwback thing of, you know, once, once say one thing, once say the other thing. Okay. Okay. So, you're not going to, are you? You're going to leave me hanging. Don't play the game, Dan. Just, it's it's going to be a long afternoon. Okay. okay. Welcome to Smart Enough to Know Better, a podcast of science. Ignorance. And comedy. Aha! Thank you, Dan. Okay, we'll try it again. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Smart Enough to Know Better, a comedy. It's got to be one of those days. This is a very short top and tailing. So you point this out? A very short top and tailing. This is... Welcome to Smart Enough to Know Better, a... Sp- <laughs> comedy. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs>